0: My name is Milan Mori and welcome to our podcast Warrior Family. We are a family of successful entrepreneurs, visioners, hustlers, and leaders. We are compassionate, loving, fearless, and determined. We fight for love, profits, and a better world. And this podcast was made for future leaders, entrepreneurs, world changers, and families all over the world. We gained our wealth by running one of the best network marketing companies in Europe and successfully coaching and speaking empire. Our stories, tips, will show you that everything is possible. And this podcast includes all the best sales, marketing, relationship, personal growth, and health advice you can get and interviews with the most successful people in the world. Our motto is, my business is not my family. My family is my business. And we are here to show you how to have it all. Today is uh, Marisa Peer. She is a world-renowned, famous speaker, therapist, and best-selling author of ultimate confidence, and you can be younger, and you can be thin, and trying to get pregnant. And with nearly three decades of experience, she is named as a British therapist by Men's Health Magazine and featured in Tatler's Guide to Britain's 250 Best Doctors. She uses her experience to train CEOs, Olympic athletes, royalty, and Oscar-winning actors, and I don't know who else. So Marisa, welcome uh, to our BQ Academy and I'm so excited to ask you some questions and uh, to interview you and to see what you're gonna tell to our participants on the next BQ wake up event in in Slovenia. So hello.
1: Hi, how
0: are you? I'm excellent, but it's maybe too early for you now in UK. Well, it's weather in England, so when it's Okay, Marisa, let's get to the point. I saw you on the Awesomeness Fest uh, stage, and you mesmerized me, and you hypnotized me, and I saw you literally on stage how you were changing uh, people's lives in the room, on the spot. I saw hundreds of speakers, but uh, your message and your... uh, your way of speaking and how you uh, deal with the audience, this is something incredible. So first, can you tell me what makes you do what you do and how you got started in, in, in this profession? Because probably you didn't wake up one morning and say, okay, I'm going on the stage and I will start to change people's lives.
1: Well, I've been a therapist for a long time, and I've been very lucky that I have extraordinary clients clients like royalty and rock stars and Olympic athletes and movie stars, but I realized after a while that they have exactly the same problems as a client who might be a waitress or a mom at home or somebody who works in an office. And so, very quickly, I realized that we all have the same problems, and if we all have the same problems... And we can all get the same cure. And I wanted to help more people, so instead of seeing one-on-one clients in my office and curing them, I decided to go on stage and cure the whole room, because I know we all have the same problem. And so that's where I began doing my talks, and you know, every habit of action is run, everything we do is run by how we think, and when you can change how people think, you can change their life. So I started working on stage, giving people the same tools I'm giving my clients and I really love doing it and I get the most phenomenal feedback every
0: week. Wow, great. So where did you get your life philosophies or you know the philosophy that you would like to help change people's lives because we all have these limiting beliefs and you know you you said you are working one on one with people and now you are translating this one on one work uh, into the room where are 500 or maybe now in wake up will be 1500 People, so where do you get your philosophy?
1: It's it's part of training and part just the stuff I've realized. So, when I trained to be a therapist, I was taught, like all therapists and all doctors, that the common cause of all our emotional problems is that we don't feel we're lovable enough. That's the root cause. When people come in, it's a bit like an onion, you know, they might say, I've got anorexia or. I might always get fired from my job, or I'm only attracted to the wrong person in a loving relationship, or I can't ask for a pay rise. But when you peel away whatever their issue is, it always goes back to the same thing.
0: Yeah. I'm not
1: good enough. And of course-
0: I'm not good enough, yeah. This is the sentence that I remember very well from the
1: I'm not discussion. enough. I'm not enough. And then, of course, I began to work with supermodels, the world's best paid supermodels, who say, I don't feel good enough. I worked with Oscar-winning actors who said, I'm waiting for the whole world to find out I'm a fraud. I worked with billionaires who said, I, I need more money. Why? Because uh, I didn't think I'm enough. Wow. And um, it was very interesting to see people right at the top of their game. And you see, what happens is it's because they don't feel enough that they are driven to become so rich, so famous, so successful. Mm-hmm but then they still have the same thing, but I still don't feel enough, and now it's worse because everyone knows about it because they see my crazy behavior, or where am I going to go? I had a dream if I'm rich, famous, beautiful, I'll be enough, and I am rich, famous, and beautiful, and I feel worse than ever. Yeah. And so that's where I really locked onto this, the cause of everyone's problems is not feeling enough. So, When I began to see clients, I I started to reverse. Instead of saying, let's find out what's wrong with you, I said, I know what's wrong with you. You don't think you're enough. And they're like, wow, how did you know that so quickly? How did you work that out in five minutes? Even I didn't know that was what was wrong with me.
0: (laughs) And it's so simple.
1: (laughs) Too simple. And you see a lot of therapists, they they do 30 sessions with you, talking and how you're feeling and analysing and, it's not necessary, because we know that everyone's problem yeah. is because they don't feel enough to different degrees. And when you fix that at the core, you fix everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't like to spend like 30 days in someone's chairs to find out what is wrong with me and my subconscious mind. And I agree with you. you know, I associate with many millionaires, also billionaires. And you find out they are the same people as those that have no money in the bank account. Just they, they, they have the problem on the, the the different levels, so it's really we have common problems, and we cannot imagine that some billionaire has the same limiting belief or the same you know self-esteem or confidence problem that others then they are look them up like uh, rock stars on something that they would like to become so yeah. so so is it really possible uh, that you can you know you you know I, I speak in front of thousands of people. And sometimes, you know, people write me back, you know, you changed my life, and it's maybe only 30 minutes on the stage. Is it really possible? Can you tell me from your point of view, is it really possible that you can change somebody's life, somebody's life from the stage? You know, people don't believe sometimes. I'm sitting in a chair passively listening, and my life can be changed. Yeah, because I was doing a talk in Portugal
1: last month. When I got off stage, the next day someone came up to and said, you know, I've had an illness for 10 years, He said, and then... I've seen every doctor who said, and last night I went to bed and I knew what was wrong with me and I knew how to get some And today is the first day I've woken up not in pain. And then someone else wrote to me and said, you know, I, I was terrified flying, but after I heard you speak, I got on the plane and I changed my thinking. And it was like, wow, this is so easy. Why doesn't everyone know this stuff? <laughs> and I'm still getting feedback now from Costa Rica, from, from, sorry, from Croatia, from all the most people saying.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, it's so sweet. When I came out of that talk, people in the queue were going, I'm not eating cakes. I've just realized that I say I'm choosing to love apples, and I'm, I'm not doing all this crazy, destructive stuff, and I'm not using that negative language. So it really changes people because, of course, it changed my life. I couldn't go out and teach this stuff if I didn't practice it. And I was the most... Insecure, self-conscious person, you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Destined for nothing. My brother and sister were the smart ones. I was the stupid one. But yeah, yeah. now, I now my life is is unrecognizable because I do, and I love the fact that the changes I do in the room are so simple that out of proportion to the phenomenal results you get.
0: Yeah. So I agree with you. I think that the, one of the most uh, limiting beliefs that people have that they want to change is first that they have a limiting belief that change is not possible. Yeah. It's not possible fast. And yeah. because they believe that they didn't change, you know, they didn't, they have the experience, they didn't change maybe for last 10 years. And now they don't believe that somebody can, you know, help them change in, in five minutes. But yeah. I, as I checked the webpage and I asked some people, I came about that you are named as a Britain's first therapist. So what is the such a huge difference between you and other therapists and coaches? Because you have so many out there, and I know that you have some unique uh, Marisa me- uh, method, uh, and I hope that one day you will also teach this method to our therapists. But tell me, what, what is so unique that, you know, uh, all, all the guys, all the media is naming you at the Britain first number one therapist?
1: Well, because I'm the therapist therapist, because therapists who can't get results with their patients send them to me. Doctors who <laughs> have been seeing this person for six years and they know better, send them to me. The Psychiatrists who have suicidal clients that they can't help send them to me. So they call me the therapist therapist because I get the results that no one else can get. And I know I was telling you that story in on stage about the girl who wanted to jump under a train and her psychiatrist asked me to come and work with her. Yeah. And and lady said to me, Wow, well, that's so depressing. And I said, What her life? He went, No, I've been seeing her for ten years. You cured her in an hour. And um but that's what I do because but you know, I cut to the point. I don't I think that old method, people have gone off it, you know? We live in a very fast world. It's getting faster every day, you know? We get stressed and we can't get our email to come on in two minutes. Yeah. We no longer are going to spend 30 sessions going to see our therapist every Friday. our feelings. <laughs> we haven't got time for that. You know, when I was at college, they taught me something really interesting. So the human mind is very complex very complicated. It takes a lifetime to understand.
0: I don't believe. And
1: it takes a lifetime to know I'm like, but you haven't got a lifetime to master your patients.
2: <laughs> no.
1: patients don't have a lifetime to get better, and I haven't got a lifetime to make them better. And I realise that you actually only need to know three things about your mind. You can even actually break that down to two. Yeah. Just use those two
0: things. You can have whatever you want. Yeah, really. Yeah, really. Yeah, people can't believe. You know, sometimes they they live in a darkness and they can't believe that they can have whatever they want. So uh, you are telling often that uh, there the people have f- same three issues. So you know wh- what are these three same three issues that all people have? Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if they, if they are broke or broken or millionaires and billionaires. What what are those? Three so things you should.
2: recently I was
1: hypnotizing a room full of people and I said to them all, take a big piece of paper and write across it in big letters your issue because I'm going to walk around the room and I'm going to look at everyone's issue and I'm going to try and do a little bit about your okay. issue. And I noticed there were only three things in the whole room. Mm-hmm. The first issue was people who just don't have the confidence. Even people who've got their own business, they find it very hard to pitch. They find it really hard to ask for more money. They hate speaking in public or giving presentations. So mm-hmm. the business confidence was a big thing. And even people who've already made it still have this fear that they're going to lose it or that a competitor's going to be better than them. And they can be really diminished very quickly by one little thing going wrong. So the, the lack of confidence, the lack of self-esteem, the feeling that this is all fake, I'm pulling it off, but one day someone's going to notice. That was one The second one was uh, issues in relationships and being with someone that you're not happy with and not believing you deserve better, Mm -hmm. attracting the same damaged relationship over and over again, particularly for women, but quite a lot of men said that too. Wow. And the third problem was um, a health-related one, not being able to have the body they wanted, wanting to diet. but eating.
2: Yeah, not like you.
1: Thirty percent of people who buy a gym membership never go. It's remarkable. <laughs> Oversell their membership all the time. Yeah. Diets have a ninety-eight percent failure rate. So a third of the room was. It wasn't just. It was a health issue. I want to be healthy. I want to be fit. I want to look after my body. I want to eat better. I want to work out. I want to not drink or smoke or. Yeah. You know, I don't want to abuse my body. And, but they just can't do it. They can do it for a week and then they stop. So they were the three things: health, relationships, and
0: confidence. Confidence. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's so simple at the end when you think about it. Yeah, really. So you know, uh, wh- what about you know, addiction? Some people have some addictions, whether it's uh, smoking or alcohol or yeah, other. Can, can you also fix this while you are in Slovenia on the stage?
2: Oh,
1: yeah. I've, I've cured people of alcoholism in one hour. I stopped people smoking in one hour. I've cured bulimics in one hour. So addictions, which I count in the health care, addicted to smoking, drinking, drugs. But I now have clients who are addict, addicted to shopping mm-hmm. and shoplifting. A lot of people are addicted to stealing because it gives them a buzz. And we've got a whole new generation addicted now to, to their iPads and to their phones. Mm-hmm. And
0: they do as well
1: can't be away from them for two hours. They get really stressed if no. they're not constantly on social media.
0: Yes, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> you get nervous if you don't have this small iPhone in your in your yeah. palm.
1: When you see yeah. like 20-year-olds having dinner, they all have their phones and their iPads on the table. They can't put them down.
0: Yeah, I think this is the number one future addiction.
1: Yeah, it's yes. coming up already. I mean, there's lots of addiction. I you mean, know, I have people who have sex addiction, but the common ones are drinking drugs,
2: food. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree.
0: Yeah. Do you have trouble reaching your goals? I have a surprise for you. Download my free ebook, Goal Setting for Warriors, at www.warriorfamily.com, and you will know how to set, plan, and reach even your biggest goals. So Marisa, you know that some rock stars and the celebrities are coming to you. how this happen you know because these, these guys they don 't like to admit that something is wrong with them, and if they trust you how you know how they find about you that they can trust you or
1: well it's, you know it's quite a small world that that rock star movie star world they all talk to each other. so how it came about was that I was asked to work on television behind. Uh-huh. The- you know this program, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I was hypnotizing a lot of the cast so they could pick up bugs and eat cockroaches and do all the things they thought they couldn't do. And I worked behind the scenes on a lot of television shows. So like Big Brother, I worked behind mm-hmm. the scenes on that. And, of course, then you had access to a lot of celebrities. And then I actually started to work in front of the camera on shows like... Super uh-huh. super skinny. So I started to hypnotize people on camera, and of course, several networks would call me and say, "You know, we've got this actor. We're doing this massive film, and he keeps taking drugs and disappearing. And it's costing us ten thousand dollars a minute to film this show. So when he's disappeared, we're we're really screwed." So then they they'd call me in and pay me. Yeah. And so it was mostly studios paying me to work with clients. Then I had a model who got this fantastic campaign, but the closer the campaign got, it was a jeans campaign. She started to eat loads of cakes and get fatter and fatter. It's like this destructiveness, so they would pay me. And then, of course, they all tell each other. Someone goes, oh, yeah, you know, I used to have this problem. I'm fine now. And they will send their friends in because they're a
2: small Uh
1: celebrities they, they mix with celebrities they go out with celebrities and so it's very normal for me to see a rock star his wife his girlfriend his manager his best friend who's a rock star And when i've worked with some bands i've seen every member of the band over a period of
2: time
0: wow wow great you know what like 17 years ago when i started out i was struggling with money I was uh, among those who rode up to the petrol station to put just 1 dollar worth of gas in the tank and uh, I struggled to pay bills on time and every 2 to 3 months my mobile services were cut off mm-hmm. but it, then I realized that the only problem that I had it was a it it was the problem about my beliefs about the money
2: yeah
0: But it, you know I think that always we are coming back down to beliefs that we have about money, relationship, health, every area of our lives. So can you tell me maybe some uh, common limiting beliefs that people have in general that then also spread out to all other areas of their lives?
1: Yes, because you see, first you make your beliefs and then your beliefs make you. And the interesting Mm. about money is that there are a few beliefs. One is... It's really hard to make it. You've got to work so hard. If your father is like a farmer or a miner and you see him working seven days a week and never having any savings, your belief is you can never make enough. Yeah. And and once you believe that, then you'll get people who've got lots of money, but they get rid of it. So I've worked with lottery winners. I worked with one who won 10 million U.K. sterling pounds. That's a lot of money.
2: Yeah. But before
1: he won that money, he worked in a factory. And he did the very typical thing that a factory worker on a low-pay does. By the end of the week, they have no money. They get it. They spend it. They know it's going to run out. There's no question of saving or investing because you've only got enough to last the week. So when he got his $10 million, guess what he did? He spent the whole lot. He bought six cars, four houses. He bought a racing track. He just spent like... an because that was what his behavior was and then he lost all of it in three years and now guess where he is he's back working in a factory making biscuits you might call them cookies. and you'd be amazed how many lottery winners have lost all their money really fast but it's always the ones that haven't had money whereas the opposite of that is people who've always invested like donald trump donald trump lost all his money But he got it all back again because their belief is money comes in, I invest it, and I double it, and then I treble it. And, you know, it's very interesting. Here, if you go to, we have two different schools here, one school you pay for and one is free. And in some of the free and poorer schools, they say things like, if I have four oranges and I give you one, how many have I got left? When you go to a private school, they say, you own eight companies, And now you sell one, how many have you got left? Because they're training those children, even when they're little to believe you own these companies, you own these businesses, you have four cars and you sell one. They don't talk about oranges and apples and bananas. And it's very interesting that they, at a very young age, show you. And it's Mm -hmm. always a good idea with children to have them earn money, but don't make them work too hard for it because then they believe it's too hard. Mm Show them how to invest it, and always tell them, you know, if you have a talent, you can make money, and everybody has a talent. It might be an unusual talent. For instance, Mercedes um, had made these special cars with a lock that nobody could pick, and then the policemen kept finding people in London with half a tennis ball in their pocket, and they're like, why have all these criminals got half a tennis ball? And they realized that if they put the tennis ball over the lock and hit it, it unlocked the, this top-of-the-range class. And Mercedes started to pay criminals to understand how they could override their locking system. So there's a talent. It's an unusual talent, but <laughs> yeah. they can be paid for that talent. It doesn't matter what your talent is. If you, you know, we all have a talent, and we're all put on the planet, and you're here to find out what you're good at and be amazing at it. Well, and you have to believe in yourself. But weirdly enough, and I tell this people a lot, belief without talent will get you way further than talent without belief. I see people in the music mm-hmm. who've got no talent, but extraordinary belief. I see people who write books that are no good and make them best sellers. And then I see other people who've got amazing talent, no belief. You're better off to have the belief than the talent. But if you are both,
0: you're unstoppable. You're unstoppable. I agree. So that's also why I created the uh, the program that I, I call BQ Life System, and it's all about the beliefs. And uh, you know, sometimes it's really, really hard to explain even to yourself, but about other people, that it's always beliefs that you have around something that you have an issue. So whether it's sales, you know. I'm always listening to people when they are talking, you know. Yesterday, I had a conversation with some friend of mine. He is a sales guy, sales manager. And he said, you know, I have this trouble closing down, uh, closing uh, entrepreneurs when I have the appointment. And so I was listening to him. So I asked him, how many appointments did you have, actually? He said, 10. And out of 10, six already owned this insurance policy. So I said, it's not really that you cannot close them down or close them, but it's really that they already had what you were selling. But also selling, you know, I, I know you know. You have all these sales courses outside and they are uh-huh. teaching you how to say, what to say, when to say, and how to look in the eyes, I, I don't uh-huh. know what. But then I see that is all about the belief. Is it true? Do you agree? That also selling, success in selling, depends uh-huh. on the beliefs you have around selling.
1: Yeah, and that's why you can, I mean, I used to work with a lot of banks, hypnotizing the bank staff in investment banks to really believe in themselves, because when you're on the trading floor, you've got to have great belief to know when, to, but also to know when to stop. And with selling, if you go to sell something and you really believe in your product, other people believe in it because they believe in you, and if you don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have common people we'll say, how could you buy that television from that man in the street and believe it was like five thousand dollars he was selling you for three hundred i mean how could you believe you were buying real chanel perfume for a dollar they went i don't know he was just too convincing yeah. he story and i really believed it and that's a talent but before you sell a product believe in yourself and then believe in the product and then you can sell it
0: yeah yeah, I agree. You know, I, I like the saying from Lisa Nichols. She said, like, you can either hate selling or you can hate being broke. <laughs> of course.
1: And you even have to sell yourself. When I wrote my first book, I had no idea how to write a book. It was interesting because I was at, a, at an event and I met this woman. And I said, what do you do? She said, I'm the commissioning editor for HarperCollins. But um, I'm actually moving to Tokyo next week. But she gave me her card. So when she, I knew she'd gone. I rang up Harper Collins and said, "Oh, I met X and she's commissioned my book." And they went, "Oh, she's left." And I went, "Oh, well, I'm a bit late." And there's a, "Don't worry, don't worry. If she commissioned it. Just send it in." So I sent it in. They published it. But you have to have belief to do that. Yeah. But when I was writing my first book. I would say every day, "This book is amazing. This book is fantastic. This book is brilliant." And I did believe it. But if I'd said the opposite, "Oh my God, it's not very good. And what if nobody likes it?" I wouldn't have been able to finish it and because I kept telling myself that over and over again. I, a, I got very into the writing because it excited me, and then I sent it off. And when they got it, they said, um, well, actually, you don't write a book. You're supposed to write three chapters and send that." And Why have you sent the whole book? I said, because I knew you'd love it. And they went, oh, actually, well, we do love it, and we're going to yeah. publish it. But when I got it back, it actually wasn't as good as I thought it was. I could really see that the first three chapters were a bit amateur. Uh-huh. I'm glad I didn't see that when I was writing it, because it would have held me back from publishing it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true, you know, and then you never finish it. <laughs>
1: no, I never
0: finish
1: it. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, nice. You can't run a race saying I'm not as good as the next runner or I'm going to fail. Yeah. You know, my little girl once, I was driving into to school, and she said, Mommy, I can't read this book, it's really hard. And I said, let me have a look. And I said, oh, darling. Your teacher's given you a book for someone who is 10 and you're only 6. You must think you're really, really clever. Like, Give me that book back. I can read that. <laughs> <laughs> the teacher must think you're so smart. She's given you a very hard book because she thinks you can read it. She like, I can. And it, it, I always try to do that with her. Just little yeah. things like when you're raising children. So whenever my daughter would go out the front door and come back, I'd always say, what have you remembered? I never said, what have you forgotten? Yeah. And I think, yeah, I remembered, I got to the door and I remembered and I've come back. I never oh, what have you forgotten this time? I go, what have you remembered? And just a little change
2: mm. children
1: brings them up to feel better about themselves.
0: Yeah, just the questions that you ask determine the direction that your mind will go. Yeah. Your life can go in a d- different direction, yeah. So, also, I it up this BQ Academy just because that I think the traditional school system is not preparing us for the real life. Do do you agree that the tradition, okay, it's good to have the education, to go to school. I know I was the best in the high school, I was the best in the faculty of law. Uh, I always listened to my father, you know, he was imprinting this belief in my subconscious mind. I know it today, you know, Uh, he said always, look, uh, learn that you don't uh, need to work as hard as I'm working. Mm -hmm. I was really the best. But then at the end, when I got my first salary, I found out that my salary is the same as for my friend that he already, uh, he barely made made through. So I think that we in traditional school system, we don't get the skills that are necessary that we can live happier, uh, successful, more productive life. Do you agree?
2: Yeah,
1: I think, I mean, I have the greatest respect for teachers, and my father's a wonderful teacher, but I've also seen the tremendous damage that schools do. They treat all children as if they're the same. Mm -hmm. They always say we love individuality, and they don't. And I know at my daughter's school, there was one child in the class who was gifted, And she won the prize every year. And all the other kids gave up. I mean, when you give one person a prize, you give 29 other people no prize. And you shouldn't reward the result. You should be rewarding the effort. So I I think schools should not reward children who get the best grade because sometimes they don't even work very hard. And the others, you should always mark achievement,
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh,
1: you should mark effort first and achievement second. And yeah. I see a lot of schools that, that make wow. terrible mistakes. They label children. They, they do, And they're very in the academic about you know English, mm-hmm. math, science. But they should be building up their self-esteem and making them feel amazing. There's a wonderful woman called Marva Collins. I don't know if you've heard of
0: her. Yeah, I've heard about her, yeah.
1: woman. amazing woman. So
0: yeah, unbelievable
1: nothing and you know every teacher should be made to read what she does
2: yes you
1: can raise geniuses from the slum if you know how to do it
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: we all label them and limit them and and we grade them and you know it's really bad to put grade children you're a you're b and you're c i mean the c's just feel penalized from the start and What hope do they have? And then we have this belief that the athletes Mm -hmm. are not smart. So they're the athletes. They don't have to do any studies or the geeks. They're not athletic and they're not pretty and they're not funny. And, you know, we limit people that you can be one thing when you can be everything.
0: You can be everything. Yeah. Okay. Let's switch some to something else to, to one of your books. Uh, that you wrote about getting pregnant, you know, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't have a chance to tell you that me and my wife, we had a problem 10 years to get a baby.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. So right now we have a beautiful daughter. She's uh, she's going to be five in September and we adopted a son from, uh, Russia. Oh, but uh, anyway, we had a problem to have a baby for 10 years, but it was also not possible from the medical point of view, but you know, later then you just have the possibility to, to conceive with IVF or no, this is like a half, half uh, chance. They almost gave up, you know? The yeah. doctor told me, you know, it's not gonna work. It's not possible, you know? You are coming here 10 years and you cannot even put your sperm and egg together to get an embryo. Ooh. I never listened to them. I always said, look, we will have a baby you know I believe but you know I I will not go through the whole story now but you know we have many issues uh, around this also in Slovenia I don't know maybe every couple from like every third couple they have a problem to, to, to get pregnant so is it also about limiting belief
1: well you know it's an interesting thing because across the Western world every third couple has a problem getting pregnant But if you go to Ghana or Ethiopia, you won't see that. So what happens is, and it's very much a belief, because unexplained infertility means we can't explain it. So what happens is your mind does what it thinks you want. And, of course, we have a generation now where girls start to have sex at 15, 16, 17, 18. And, of course, the first thing they say is, don't get me pregnant. I mustn't get pregnant. Please don't make me pregnant. Oh, my dad will go crazy if I'm pregnant. I'll get kicked out of school if I'm pregnant. Every time you take the pill, you're saying to your mind, I don't want a baby. Every time your boyfriend buys the condoms, you're saying, we don't want a baby. And, of course, the mind is very specific. If you give it a message every day, Mm -hmm. over and over again, it believes it. And then 15 years later, when you go, well, now I'm married, I've got a great job, I'd like a baby, your mind cannot undo 15 years of conditioning overnight because when you link pain to something, what your mind does is it try, its job is to move you away from pain. We're all very much tribal people, and, and in tribes, you learn something that was pain and you avoided it for the rest of your life. So when I was 17, I remember vividly, praying in my bedroom that I would not be pregnant because I was just about to go to university. My father would have been so disappointed. and I was so terrified that I was pregnant. And then when I realized I wasn't, I was like, oh, thank you, God, oh my God, that's wonderful. And then, of course, I got unexpected infertility. I was told I could never have children. I didn't even have any periods for like 15 years. After that day, they stopped completely because my mind thought that's what I wanted. And when I went for tests, they said, you'll never be able to have a child. It's not possible. And and they told me that. I didn't believe them. Luckily, I never accepted that. And actually, I got pregnant very easily. But then when I was pregnant, they told me that, oh, you're never going to carry this baby to full term. Even if you do, she's going to be very small and probably handicapped. And she was born, weighing four kilos. She was perfect. And after that, that's when I thought, you know, I'm not going to believe these beliefs. (laughs) The other beliefs, everyone said to me when I had it, they came up, are you depressed? Am I depressed? I'm elated. I've never been happier in my life. They went, oh, well, in four days you'll be depressed. And on the ward when I had my baby, they actually came around and they gave every woman a box of tissues and said, that's for the depression. On day four, all the women cry because you get postnatal depression. I'm like, I'm having postnatal euphoria. I'm having a or whisk. And I left. I just picked my baby up and went home. So I'm not having that. But you see, the fertility... <clears throat> so if you went to America, for instance, it's very interesting. If you look at black Americans, we have the same thing in England. It's not a race thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. If
1: you look at poor girls, <clears throat> they get pregnant at 16. We have that word, baby mother. It's the same in England, where
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's actually a matter of pride. If you go to Jamaica, where I just was, you'll see women of... 20 with four children, because they never try not to have a baby. They don't think, oh, please don't make me pregnant. They want a baby. It's an accepted thing. It shows the man is virile and you're fertile, and in England, Mm -hmm. if you've got no hope of getting a job and you have a baby, they give you a house, they give you an allowance. So we have one part of England where there's girls of 20 with three children. Then we have the women, the men of 36 who cannot get pregnant because it's all about linking pain to being pregnant, telling your mind you don't want it. And when you put it off for 15 years, as we do to have a career, that's when you you create the problems because your mind has got a different belief. You don't want a baby. And if you watch a program where someone is giving birth and they scream and they go, oh, my God, it's a nightmare, and then they die, you think, oh, I'm never going to go through that. Wow, yeah. A lot of my clients in therapy will go back to scenes where their friend had a baby and said, oh, I nearly died, or it was agony. Or they even might go back to their mother when you put a little baby on the hip going, how was it? Oh, that was terrible. The pain was excruciating. And They think, "Then I'm never going to go through that. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about. Because in, in countries where people don't try to delay having a baby, they have babies. I mean, I was just in Dubai fascinatingly. Mm-hmm. And now again, the young girls who get married at 16, you see them in the mouths with four children. Yeah. Career women who wait till they're in their 30s find it hard to get pregnant. It's not their age, it's because they've told their mind for 15 years, don't want a baby, don't want a baby, don't want to be pregnant. Hmm.
0: You know what, when you come, I think that you will have a lot to talk <laughs> with my wife, she wrote a book, also it's like a fairy tale for kids, yeah. explains them how they got to this world with the IVF procedure, yeah, yeah really, really, we will do something on this issue too on the seminar. So what about, let's, let's switch to the setting goals, you know, you always hear on this uh, motivational seminar, mm. it's important that you set goals, it's, po- it's important that you write the goals down, is it really? so important that you have personal and business goals?
1: You know, goals are good because when you move, you, you have no idea what your potential is. The human potential expands as you move towards it. So in the 1970s, there was an Olympic swimmer called Mark Spitz, and in the Munich Olympics, he won seven medals. He broke every world record. He was like Robocop. He was like a hero, and now you can't even qualify for the team swimming at this speed Because when your mind moves to a new dimension, it doesn't go back, it goes forwards. And as you reach your potential, it expands. So goals are very good at expanding your potential. But a goal won't work unless you have the belief. So I'm going to be a millionaire. That's a goal. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know, I'm just going to be a millionaire. I'm going to marry a supermodel. The goal is you have to have way more than the goal. Anything that you want will require you doing some work, learning something new. So a goal is just a word. You need to have a passion and a drive to do the work, but you also need to have self-belief because again, I meet a lot of writers who wrote a book, put it in a drawer, and there it is 10 years later. I meet people who said, I had a great idea, and then, Years later, someone else had my idea. So why didn't you send it to market? Oh, I, I was too scared of being rejected. Mm-hmm. And of course, here comes that thing again—the fear of rejection. You know, are two things we come onto the planet with: are a fear of being rejected and a need to be connected, because that's how we make it. Mm-hmm. And the fear of rejection is so powerful that most people, many people, will say. I I can't ask for a pay rise. I can't ask for a job. I can't Mm -hmm. ask ask that really gorgeous girl out in case she says no. I can't sell. I mean, I have so many clients who go, I can't pitch, I can't sell. You know, even when they've got their own company, they give it to everyone else to do. They employ salespeople because they feel they can't sell. And the reason they can't sell is because they're scared of being rejected. But when you wake up and realize no one can reject you ever... The only person who can reject you is you. Yeah. So in a tribe 500 years ago, if you were rejected, you would die. In a tribe, they would banish people that didn't fit in, and you probably would die of a broken heart. Mm-hmm. you feed yourself. You couldn't hunt. You needed a group. You needed a group to hunt, and you needed a group. We see that in the animal kingdom still, when they, they reject the runt of the litter, it, it can't survive on its own. But now you can. You could go and live in a little apartment on your own, and not see anyone and live until you're 90 because you can live on your own now. Yeah, yeah. Which is if you reject me, I will die.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: yeah. You can be rejected and live until you're 102. So our fear of rejection is redundant. Yeah. It can be a survival thing. I mean, that's why babies are very needy because they know you've got to love them to make it. But once you get past 18, you can't be rejected. For someone to reject you, you've got to agree with everything they say. Mm -hmm. I "I don't like you because I don't like anybody from... I don't like you because you've got purple hair. Clearly, you can't let that in because you obviously don't have purple hair, so you wouldn't let that in. If I said, I don't like you because you're boring you might let that in, you might think, oh, my, boring? Oh, my God, perhaps I'm boring.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You have to choose not to let it in. And there is a technique, one of my TED Talks was about how to not let in rejection. Mm-hmm. And it was so successful because you, there's only five things you need to do and then you can't be rejected.
0: Yeah. You know, Matt, uh, I will tell you some, uh, some story that happened last week. And even if I teach thousands and thousands of people about this, that, you know, you cannot get affected about... Uh, What others are saying and uh, and the beliefs that they impose to you and what they are saying it's still something that you it it may it make you think yeah last week i went out with friends and uh, we, we we hang out till the early morning and you know you know i met a guy on the street he saw me he recognized me uh and and then he approached me and just he started to talk to me and he was talking some bullshit I will not even repeat but just like that you know I am ma- making all the stuff up that I steal the money from the people with with telling stories from the stage and blah, blah. And I was just listening and I had like five guys with me and they were already upset you know trying to defend me I said like wait wait and I was listening and listening and listening and when he said his final sentence I said thank you very much I will take this as an compliment <laughs> <laughs> He didn't know what to say. But, but, you know, later, like 30 minutes, literally later, I met one lady, she was probably 65, 67. She recognized me too. And she came to me and said, Wow, I read your book. I, I, I attended one of your seminars. You are such a great human being. I like you. I like your stuff. You have so many people. So in 30 minutes, two different stories. Good story you will listen? It's important.
1: You you can choose all the time. You know, sometimes when I work on the radio or I'm doing a TV show and they'll say, give the audience one thing, one thing that will change their life, and I say, don't let in destructive criticism. Don't let it in. When someone comes up and goes, wow, you look old or you look fat or that looks terrible on you, just go, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing it. I have not to agree with you, but if you want to tell me I'm old or tired or fat, or. I mean, a couple of my clients who are famous, the people up in the street, and they'll go to them, I hated your. Michael Caine was saying, you're going to go, oh, I hated your last film, Michael. And he's like, thanks. You know, who cares? You hated my film. It's made millions at the box office. Other people yeah, yeah. love it. Other people's opinion, let it go over your head. I mean, they can say whatever they want. and... I know as a writer, I go onto Amazon, and my You Can Be Thin books got 340 reviews, which is a lot. It's one of the highest-reviewed books on Amazon, and 330 are five-star. I love this book. It's amazing. And eight of them say, I hate this book. I hate that person. She's horrible. One of them actually is so funny. It says, this doesn't work. I read this book. I lost 10 pounds in two weeks. It's too difficult. And I'm like... It doesn't work. You lost 10 pounds in two weeks. So I wrote to her and said, hey, why don't you maybe just try to lose two pounds a week because perhaps you're doing it too strictly because 10 pounds in two weeks, she never replied. But that's okay. But the thing is, you know, when I read my reviews, I read the good ones. I look at the negative ones. Some of my clients who are famous say, you know, I go onto Twitter every day and I read all the hate mail. I'm like, why? That's why you're in my office, because you read hate mail every day. Yes. It doesn't matter what those people think of you. The people that matter don't care about that stuff. And the people that care about, about silly things like, you know, we have all these magazines in England now where they love to take a picture of a celebrity perspiring under their arms or... Maybe they haven't done up a shirt properly, and they they highlight it, and it's like, who cares? That stuff doesn't matter. But you just have to learn not to let in rejection. Yeah. Don't let it in. Just just say thank you for sharing that. Or I mean, there are four other techniques I'll teach them when I'm when I'm with you on stage. Okay,
0: great, thank but, you.
1: But um. Thank you for sharing that, is saying I'm not letting them. I mean, people have come up to me before and said horrible things, very rarely because I tend to get really nice things. But I just let it go. I've got a cushion, and it says there's never been a statue erected to a great critic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that means that one of my clients who was an actor was saying how the critics, you know, they come to review their films. He said, the critics are so mean to me. I said, have they got any awards? Critics don't get Oscars. Actors get Oscars, the people that critically review your work, they don't get any awards, they don't have a fan club. They just You're
0: you're a movie star, it doesn't matter. In 2017, I gained around 3.2 million followers on social media. I earned more money than ever and got so many new opportunities. If you want to know how you can do that, download my free manual social media warrior at www.warriorfamily.com yeah i agree I completely i highly wait that you come on 10th of october and tell from the stage you know it's really this is really powerful stuff you you, you were talking about look uh, how you know somebody telling you that you look fat and you know what but, but you you wrote a book actually i saw you on stage i must admit uh, your your husband is there
2: yeah maybe he's
0: okay. Gone. <laughs> okay so I will tell you you have beautiful body you are a, a beautiful looking uh, lady and uh, you know you actually wrote a book how to look younger and yeah. how to use the power of your mind yeah. to look 10 years younger yeah and you... I, I will not ask you how old you are because you know it's not like convenient but let, let's say let is it possible to, to look really younger just because you use your mind word?
1: Absolutely. So let me give you an example. So you have three ages. You have your birth certificate age. So Mm -hmm. if your birth certificate age says you are 40, you're 40. But then you have what's called a biological age. So a runner, for instance, their heart and lungs will be 15 years younger. If you run, you will have the lungs and the heart of a Mm 25-year-old. But you may actually have the knees and the skin of a 60-year-old. So your organs will be older or younger, depending on what you do. Mm-hmm. People who meditate and yogis that tend to have long, flowing hair when they're 80 are always at least 15 years younger than their age. Because you have a third age, which is your psychological age, and that's the age you feel. So people who laugh and giggle a lot, like Goldie Horn, You know Goldie Horn, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always laughing and giggling and looks very young. Because when you do young things, you send a message to your body that says, I am young. Yeah. If you look at Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones, he should actually be dead. He's taken so many drugs. But when you go on stage with a guitar and you play to screaming girls, your mind thinks, oh, I'm just a young, cool guy. And you'll become younger. And so there's a lot of things you can do to slow down aging, and the most important is your language. So if you look in the mirror tomorrow and go, oh, my God, I look so old. And you say that every day. I look old. Oh, I'm getting older. Here's a line Here's a gray hair. You become what you think about. If you say, I look tired or I look dehydrated, it's very temporary. A night's sleep and some fluids and you won't look dehydrated. So we know that the words you use can accelerate or reverse aging because people who do young things like particularly people who are playing young parts or rock stars, are younger. But but the brain aging is even more interesting because people who are still professors at 90 have the brain neurons of a 35-year-old. And so you'll see people like like painters like Tishan and Freud who are painting in their 80s, composers who are still playing music in their 90s age completely differently. Mm-hmm people who who are not active and people who exercise a lot because a lot of aging is what we call disuse of the body. You know, you can't define aging. If you found, if there's a 50, if someone was found in a road traffic accident, they'll often say, well, there's someone between the age of 35 and 55 because they don't know because you age on your own timetable and you can influence that timetable and all you have to do to age differently Look after your body, mm-hmm. eat well, exercise, but think great thoughts. And then, mm-hmm. many cool things you can do. So when you when you clean your teeth at night, use the opposite hand. Yeah. But <laughs> it's called neurobics. You start to use a different part of your brain.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And when you go upstairs, you will almost always lead from your right leg, especially if you're right-handed. Make yourself lead from the left leg because it, it rewires your brain. And you know, the brain only gets old when you stop using it. We we know people like, like Nelson Mandela, who was so alert. And I mean, Nelson Mandela, he didn't have vitamins. He didn't have a great life. He was in a jail cell for 30 years, but he still aged because he had passion. He used his brain all the time. So you can quite definitely reverse the aging of your skin. You can reverse the aging of your organs, and you can reverse the aging of your brain if you know what to do, and it really works.
0: Oh, great! You know, I already see that people that are coming to our seminar some some they want to just get some rid some uh, rid of uh, some limiting beliefs. Mm. Uh, some are salespeople, some some are sales managers. Some they want to get pregnant, and I think that most of them want to look better, younger, and uh, live healthier lives. Sure. Uh, yeah yeah what about you know personal development I must say like 17 years ago I was against personal development
2: okay if
0: so somebody told me you know uh, go out and read that book about a motivation and success I rejected a lot but today I have a saying like one word one sentence one book one human being or one seminar can change your life literally oh yeah do, do you agree
1: Oh, yeah. I remember when I was at a Tony Robbins seminar years ago, and he said something. He said, nothing influences you more than the company you keep. And I thought, you know, that's true. And I was a single parent at the time. You know, I, rather like you, I I didn't start off with a privileged life. My, My partner left me before my baby was born. I raised her on my own. And, you know, it was hard. And I had a lot of friends who were single parents, and they'd all start – we'd meet every Sunday. They were a good support network, but they'd all do this stuff like, oh, men are terrible, and they leave you, and it's so hard. Mm-hmm.
2: And I, I loved
1: being a single parent. I didn't No one told me what to do. I could do what I like. I could, me and my baby could watch cartoons all day on this, or I didn't have a husband saying, I need to watch sport now. And, and I decided to stop seeing them. I mean, I didn't cull them. I wasn't written of them. I just gradually took the energy out of the relationships because it wasn't good for me to be around that negativity. Mm-hmm. And I just stopped keeping bad company. And it was very good for me to do that because actually, you know, I, I'm so glad I was a single parent because I was in a situation where I was already a therapist and, and I, could, I was making money. But I just could make enough to, to have a nice house and to pay for my daughter to go to private school. But then all the kids in private school also went on holidays, and I couldn't have both. For me, it was like private school or holidays. I was like, I don't want my daughter to be the only one that doesn't have. So I thought, like, well, I'm a therapist. How can I have to make more money? And that's what I thought, like, I'm going to write a book. I was actually hypnotizing writers to write. I had an article in the paper where I hypnotized this journalist, and he wrote a bestseller. And then more people would come in. And this girl came in who wasn't very smart. And I hypnotized, and she wrote a best, though. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, why am I hypnotized not to write books? I should be writing a book. So I wrote my first book, and I got a lot of money. And I never again had to make that decision, school fees or holidays. But, you know, if I had had a husband saying, here's a check for the school fees, I never would have written that book. So he did me the biggest favor because he made me aim higher.
0: Yeah you know you mentioned the word hypnotize yeah uh, you know people they have some negative limiting beliefs about no. you know hypnosis so uh, I always say the hypno- hypnosis is everything what you read what you listen what you tell to yourself this is hypnosis you are under hypnosis when you're listening to the radio watching TV so <laughs> can you explain What is hypnosis in simple language that people don't think that it's something that they sit in the chair and they get hypnotized and then they are afterwards like a robot running around doing some stuff that you program in their subconscious mind. That this is actually something that they are doing to themselves every day and they can use it for their power.
2: Yeah, so when you're driving
1: your car on the same journey every day, you're, you're in a form of hypnosis. You know, when you get home, I, think, I don't even remember when I turned left or how I went there. We do a lot of things on autopilot, which is a form of hypnosis. And we do go in and When you're watching TV and it's so engrossing and the phone rings and you jump like that, you yeah. get hypnosis. But the difference between being hypnotized and not is, is an interesting thing. Hypnosis is, is not asleep. You're not asleep. Mm-hmm. But it is a sleep of your nervous system. And you have a critical factor in your mind, and the critical factor screens your thoughts. If you say, I'm going to go out and I'll make a speech. I'm going to go to the park and make a speech. I'm going to go into my boss and ask him to treble my salary. Your mind goes, no, you're not. You're never going to do that. You haven't got the confidence to do that when the critical factor shuts down, which it does in hypnosis, you can give people suggestions they would reject normally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You tell them stuff like you go to the gym every day, you drop 20 pounds, you attract a great guy or girl, you're fantastic at selling. And the critical factor not only doesn't object, it gets excited. You excite the imagination, and that's why it really, really works.
0: Mm-hmm. I already see when you are coming to the seminar, you will hypnotize me too, you know. I still have some limiting beliefs.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, I will not uh, start to talk about them now because it will take us one hour. You know, sometimes people, we think that the guys, like uh, the the, the role models that we look up to, like uh, Sir Richard Branson, other guys, they don't have any limiting beliefs at all. But oh. I always say, you always bump into the ceiling of complex, complexity and the ceiling of your potential and oh. all that it takes that you go to the next level is a new limiting, new new, new belief system. So, and
1: I, yeah. Branson called his company Virgin because he was so naive when he started out. He was selling cassette tapes. People would buy them, copy them and send them back for a refund.
0: Yeah. And
2: that's
1: why Virgin is called Virgin. Yeah. But of course now he's amazing.
0: Yeah. You know, now we have to close uh, because it's one hour already. And uh, maybe just about making a decision. Okay. Wow. How how people make a decision. Yeah. So uh, when we, uh, before we, we finish, uh, I, I spent a week with uh, Sir Richard Branson on his island and I, I have like, I have like for four day notes to do a whole seminar, every sentence, every word that he said, I wrote it down, you know, about, about his beliefs about life, about success, about money, about raising up kids, about uh, having a free time, about life, uh, lifestyle. So one, one of the questions that I asked him, I said, how do you make decisions? He said, look, I am called Dr. Yes. I always say yes. And then I say, what was the question? So he said, how I make a decision, first I make a decision, I decide, then I start to act, then I start to think if I did the right thing and if I have to improve something and then I do another action. But most people, they think a lot, you know, about, you know, they analyze and then maybe they make a decision. So can, can you tell us something about making a decision? Because somebody that is watching this now, they have to make a decision to come on the seminar and they have this limiting belief. Maybe it's too much money, maybe it's too far away, I'm not used to go out and the seminars are not worth attending and blah, blah, blah.
1: Okay, so first of all, decision is a word, it is Latin, it means to cut off from. So when you make a decision, you've cut off from doubt. Oh. Wow. And you know, smart people, they make a decision very quickly, and they very rarely change their mind. But people who are not succeeding, they make a decision very slowly, and they change their mind all the time. Smart people decide quickly. Mm -hmm. I had a similar thing to you when I I was writing my first book, and I got called in. um, And they said, look, we love this book. It's a great book. But we want to change it. And we want you to put the back at the front and the front at the back, and like 10 more things. Can you do that? I went, yes. I had no idea how to do that, but I thought, I say yes to everything as well. I make decisions quickly, and I change my mind rarely, and I know that failures make decisions slowly and change their mind all the time because they live in uncertainty, and certainty is a need. When you say, I can do this, your brain will come up with the answer. So once I said yes to that, not knowing what to do,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I was driving my car one day and suddenly these whole 10 things came into my brain. I sat, brought the car over, wrote them all out. When I finished that book, I could have given them 50 more chapters, actually, because when you say yes, your brain engages. When you say, how do I do this, or what shall I do, it engages. When you say, oh, what if it all goes wrong, again, your mind's job is to move you away from something you link pain is so when you start saying, oh could i do that i don't know if i can do that maybe that's wrong for me your brian comes up with resistance when you say yes even to a seminar. you'll even find the money for it because you said yes
0: you yeah, say yeah.
1: yes to everything with certainty that it's going to work and it will work
0: yeah yeah i agree say yes to everything thank I mean, you for sharing this about the latin word a decision because i i, I have we have in slovenian language the decision is yeah but then I I play with words because in in Slovenian language chiti, it's actually two words like Lo odd decide from you know yeah. if you want to decide for something you have first to decide from something else that you were attached to so <laughs> great I will check in the 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 the, the 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 I will check the Latin word and thank you. Uh, for uh, for a decision to participate on this live webinar and I hardly wait to see you on stage on 10th of October in Slovenia uh, and Nijublna and, and to introduce to, to other uh, great people.
1: Well I can't wait to come
0: too it's exciting okay.
1: and I'm glad okay. we made a decision to work together.
0: Yeah thank you. Thank you very much. Okay well, so, have a great day. yeah you too. have a safe travel to United States wherever you go. And I look forward to coming to lovely Slovenia. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. 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 Resources from this interview are available online. Visit www.warriorfamily.com and download the free book, Lessons from Millionaires, with all the resources mentioned in the interview. If you want to be a warrior who has it all, visit www.warriorfamily.com and download my e-books for free. Learn all about warrior productivity, habits, mindset, marketing and sales strategies, confidence boosters, and many other things. I promise that you won't be disappointed. More valuable content is waiting for you on my social media profiles. Instagram, Smiljan Mori, YouTube and Facebook, Smiljan Mori, Warrior Family, Twitter, Smiljan Mori, and LinkedIn, Smiljan Mori.